Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey there, everybody. Today you are in for a serious treat. I got to sit down in person with a superstar athlete. It really took me back to my triathlon racing roots, um, although I was never as good as her. This is Marinda Carfrey. She is an Australian endurance athlete. She's an Ironman triathlete. She's won the Hawaii Ironman three times. And she comes from such an unconventional athletic background. Most triathletes start in the sports of swimming, cycling, or running. And it makes a lot of sense. She comes from an entirely different sport, an entirely different background. And today we really dig into what, you know, the different things that she thinks may have led to her success in the sport, one of which is her marriage to another pro triathlete. And I always think it's fun to hear from other athlete couples and how how they're able to navigate this crazy sport together and still maintain their own careers and their own identities. I know for Tim and I, um, you know, it was challenging at times. And then, you know, it's really cool because we, uh, we just kind of let it loose and dig into the different lessons she's learned. And, you know, a few really, really cool themes continue to crop up along the way, which I know you're going to get out of this immediately when you hear it. It is also, I think, the longest episode I have ever done. And I really didn't even want to stop. Um, but, but we had to cut it off at some point. So hopefully you're running, you know, 8k or close to 10k today, because this one's going to go about an hour. So on that note, I'm going to wrap this up so you can hear directly from Miranda Carfrey. We call her Rinny. She's got an incredible accent. So I know you're going to be on the edge of your seats the entire time. All right, everyone. I am so excited to be sitting here across from three-time Hawaii Ironman world champ, Miranda Carfrey. Hello. Hello. Thanks, Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so exciting to actually be in your home surrounded by a wall of wine. Exactly. Yeah. It's um, sometimes, I mean, it's beautiful, wow. but uh, it's hard not to open a bottle most nights. <laughs> well, you know, I used to drink. I don't yeah. drink anymore. Okay. But um, feel free. We can pull some out at any time. <laughs> Maybe you have some sparkly bubbly for the kids. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be for me. So what's kind of funny is I have never been in a three-time Hawaii Ironman world champions home. <laughs> I only live with a two-time Hawaii Ironman world champion. Yeah. Um, it, it actually looks a lot better than ours. So I wish Tim would have won one more. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, yeah, we we got lucky with the land on this place and the house has come together beautifully and we kind of will be in debt for a little while, but hopefully we can continue to race well and pay it off. Well, you, okay. You're definitely going to continue. We're going to get into that today. Mm -hmm. But um, so to lay the foundation here, <clears throat> you're a triathlete. You're a pro triathlete. You're married to another awesome guy, pro triathlete. He's not here right now. You shipped him off to go do something so we could have some girl time. Um, and uh, we, uh, we're going to get into your story and how you got there and mm -hmm. how you got to become the best in the world and all the good stuff and bad stuff that goes with that. But sure. before we get there... I'm sure people have noticed you have a slight accent. Okay, that was not it. I don't no. even know what I just <laughs> that did. That sounded English. <laughs> no, mine's more rough than that. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm not from the US. I'm Australian, um, born in Brisbane, Queensland, and um, grew up there and started traveling when I started triathlon when I was about 19 years old. So what'd you do before triathlon? I played basketball, actually. Um, believe it or not, I'm only five foot three, but I followed my older brothers into basketball and just loved it. I played for 11 years. I played at a fairly high level in uh, Brisbane, where I was from. And um, yeah, I sort of finished high school and was looking for a new challenge and 
triathlon. I met a couple of triathletes at the gym. I didn't even really know what triathlon was about. And I uh, met a couple of triathletes at the gym and sort of six months later, they talked me into doing a race and um, kind of the rest is history, really. Okay. But the rest is, okay, there's a yeah. lot more in the rest. <laughs> yes. We know that. So you grew up, were you like in a rural area or? Yeah. Okay. So I grew up on a farm. It was a five acre farm. We grew lettuce. Um, so yeah, I mean, three brothers, two sisters. We joke that my parents had six kids just for free labor um, on the farm. And yeah, we definitely worked hard growing up. Um, but yeah, we love sports and we we're outside a lot. So I definitely was a tomboy as well. Um chased my brothers around trying to keep up I definitely got beat up a lot <laughs> um but yeah I mean I look back with fond memories of my childhood um growing up you know running around the farm and just being outdoors so where did you fall in the higher in the order your siblings yeah yeah I was fourth so it was um girl boy boy me boy girl so boys all around me <laughs> I can't even remember that <laughs> yeah um so is there anything to the whole like birth order theories out there like what is the fourth out of six supposed to become <sighs> exactly um I think um <laughs> we the, don't know <laughs> the middle children ge generally uh either have issues <laughs> which I feel like maybe I had some issues in that I wanted needed sports so I needed an outlet and sports gave me that outlet um to excel um, and then my older siblings were like talented in different areas, um, academically. And, um, I excelled in the sports and, and my younger two kind of didn't really want to do much of anything. <laughs> um, so it was kind of, it's kind of a funny, but honestly, every family's different. Uh, look at my husband, Tim, he's the youngest of four and he, I kind of laugh. He's kind of the black sheep of his family because they were all amazing at academics and so forth and and timmy went to went to navy naval school but now he's like the star athlete and growing up he was the worst athlete very uncoordinated but wow. probably the most competitive because he was the youngest and you know he got no one okay this is really interesting because tim's a swimmer yep. or at least so when i was, was racing yeah. yes I remember this very distinctly. There was a race called Memphis in May. Yep. I always tell Tim every time I see him. <laughs> and they start you individually. It's a time trial race, right? So you're going off every 10 seconds or something. Yeah. And it's like guy, girl, guy, girl. That's how they did the pros. Yeah. And, you know, 400 meters or so into the swim, I feel this like, hand on my foot and then it's more of a tug. And then it's someone basically like swimming over mm -hmm. me aggressively, like taking control. It was Tim. Yeah. It does not surprise <laughs> me. The guy is so, he's scrappy. Like he's um, very, really competitive. And when you put him in a race, he, he has that race mind. I definitely, I mean, I'm definitely very competitive and, but not like he is. Like we'll go out and play basketball on the courts yeah. down here and it's dangerous playing against him because he's so much bigger than I am. He's really quite uncoordinated. And so like he basically just beats me up to, to win. So you're just trying for uh, to make it so he doesn't trip on you or knock <laughs> no, you off the court. No, I mean, he's fine. Like he'll take, he, <laughs> he puts his body second. Like he will, but to win the game, it's like win at all costs. Oh, I love um, it. But that's kind of funny because it's typical of swimmers that I used to use a term that we were land dorks. Yeah. Like to watch a pickup basketball game of only swimmers yeah. is just depressing. <laughs> it's actually comedic. Um, but you're a basketball player. I yeah. mean, you've got some skills and agility and like you can go sideways. Yeah. <laughs> you know, triathletes and runners and cyclists, we go forward yeah. only. It's yeah. all we do. So how do you how do you think your background in basketball helped you? I think um, having a background in basketball was huge coming into triathlon, just, you know, having a body that was well-developed um, and coordinated. And um, I kind of, I was just very good with my body and knowing how to, where to put it in areas and so forth. And I think that, that I was developed well enough so that when I came into triathlon, I mean, I've been racing for 15 years now and I've never had an injury. I've never had a stress fracture. I've never had you know, any wow. injuries that have stopped me from training for more than, well, a day. Like I, wow. I'm like, oh, I've got a sore, I've got a sore knee and the day, next day it's fine. So I've never had to miss a session for an injury. And I, I put that down to my basketball background and having, you know, so long of multi-directional, multi-planner um, yes. sport and, you know, developing fully before I started doing this, 
you know, straight up and down yes. um, sport, which is triathlon. Well, and it's, it is amazing. First <clears throat> of all, we are knocking on wood. I don't know what yeah. kind of wood it is, but this is a cool table. Um, and uh, <laughs> not having an injury. I mean, that is the number one danger of any pro athlete is like, I might get injured. So you're yeah. constantly like hyper aware of your form and all mm-hmm. those things. And maybe it's also that you had a strong, strong core. And like when we were growing up swimming, you're a, how old are you? I am 35. So you're a decade younger than me. <laughs> and uh, we didn't know what a core was. Yeah. You know, for dry land, <laughs> yeah, they were yeah. like, do crunches. And you yeah. did these things where people pushed your feet down. Yep. Do you remember those? <laughs> but um, the core became like this common term at some point. Yeah. And you might have benefited a little bit from that. Yeah, I think, um, well, I certainly didn't do any core-specific exercises. But again, playing basketball and you had to have a strong core to quickly change direction and go the other way down the court. Um, so I think it was just a natural, uh, natural progression through learning to play basketball and learning yeah. to play well. Um, and I'm sure, yeah, I brought that into triathlon, but, um, yep. Well, okay. So here's another funny thing is you're five, three mm-hmm. and the sport you chose was basketball or that yeah. you gravitated to. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, physically no one would look at you and be like, she's, this is it. Like she's yeah. going to be the best in the world in basketball. Yeah. But um, there had to be passion there that led you. Absolutely. I loved playing. I loved, um, you know, the team environment. I loved the challenge. I loved um, the competition. Um, but again, you know, as I got older and was in senior teams, I was often overlooked because of my height. And um, that was so frustrating because, you know, I was the athlete or the the kid that would turn up early that would never ever ever miss a session that would turn up to you know individual sessions with coaches and and you know do the extra run session or whatever they Mm -hmm. told me to do and I knew none of the bigger girls were doing any of that they would be lazy and they would turn up and and still they would be picked for the teams or they would be starting five and I'd be on the bench and so that I think was really what drove me to triathlon because it all of a sudden it was an individual sport and knowing that, you know, regardless, like if I did the work and I got the result, there was nothing, no one could take that away from me. It wasn't subjective. Um, it was about going out, doing the work and getting the results. And so that was what really was the thing that drew me to doing triathlon. Well, triathlon <laughs> is definitely a sport for people who want to suffer or <laughs> have a propensity. And what I'm hearing is, your success early on before triathlon had a lot more to do with the hard work. Yes. And I think, you know, a lot of people are like, well, is it the physical or the mental that makes mm-hmm. you become a champion? Yeah. What's your I take think, um, I th- well, at this higher level, and especially in endurance triathlon, it's definitely more mental. Um, you have to have some physical ability, obviously. But honestly, I think if you just put the work in, if you want this sport bad enough, you, you know, you do your however many thousand hours and you can be pretty great. You could be, you know, one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world. And, um, you know, I don't know if, um, you know, I certainly have a talent in this sport. I have a talent for running, but I think my major talent was not getting injured and doing the hard work and um, not missing a session and um, following the plan. Um, and I think not everybody has the ability to, believe in something and stick to something and follow it through. And I, that's kind of all I did. It wasn't rocket science. There's no, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no secret weapon. Everybody wants to hear the secret weapon and it's more about doing the work. That's so true. Uh, there's no secret weapon. There's no magic pill. No. <laughs> I mean, the people who are like, yeah, I lost 20 pounds in a week. You're yeah. like, well, that's not staying off. No. <laughs> you know, I'll <laughs> be back gotta, on in a week. There's got to be a bigger change that happens. So let's talk about your triathlon career. You said basketball was sort of the impetus to kind of push you into it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell Let's let's tell people how you, wh- what was your first race like? Why'd you even try one? Yeah. So, um, so I was actually in the gym for the upcoming basketball season. So myself and two other junior girls on the team. Um, we wanted to get bigger and well, not bigger and stronger, just stronger because we were, you were, we were playing against, we were 17 and 18. We were playing against 25 year olds and we hadn't fully developed. So we wanted to get into the gym and get strong and fit for the upcoming basketball season. Of course, none of the other taller girls were worried about doing this, but, um, and through that, I met a couple of triathletes, as I mentioned, and, um, their coach one day just said to me, you know, you run really well. 
have you ever thought about it? I think you could make it, you'd make a great triathlete. And I'm like, well, funny you say that. I've kind of been thinking about it. And he said, well, can you swim? And I'm like, well, of course I can swim. You know, I can swim in the Marco Polo all day in the backyard pool. And um, he's like, okay, bring your swimsuit um, to the pool tomorrow. I want to see you swim. And so I bring, bring my bikini because I don't have a real swimsuit, don't have a cap or goggles, um, and dive in. I swam maybe 25 meters or 25 yards or whatever and uh, went on the, um, on the lane line. I looked up at him and was like, so what do you think? And he just sort of turned around and walked away because um, it was that bad. Oh, my. Um, he, he didn't even say anything. He was like, oh, good Lord. Let's he just not shook his head. On. <laughs> yeah. He just shook his head and walked away. I scrambled out of the pool, kind of ran after him. He was a bit of a um, – um, he was a tough coach. Let me just put it that way. But, um, he said, look, you have a lot of work to do. Um, I'll put you in the swim group. So he threw me in with the local swim team and, um, yeah. And then I started training as a triathlete. I still played basketball and I was doing university. It was kind of a crazy time because a lot going on. Um, so wait, where did you study? Uh, university of Queensland. Yeah. Um, what, what was your major? I was uh, doing human movement studies, which is like physiology, kinesiology, oh, wow, cool. but I actually never finished it because I did like two years and then I went part-time because I made the Australian junior team and we were traveling yeah. throughout all the study time. And I thought, yeah. well, you know, I, my brain's going to work forever. This is a great opportunity to yeah. represent my country and do something for whatever reason, you know, you have the gut feeling and I definitely had a good, good gut feeling for triathlon. So I, I, I need to, I need to share this. I don't know if you know this, but Tim, my mm-hmm. husband left his, he went to West Point for a couple of years. Then he went to university of Iowa Yeah, and he left in his senior year and never finished. Yeah. And he got his bachelor's degree in exercise physiology yeah. last year. Oh really? Yes. So you can always do Go it. Go back. And he yeah. said, and I think your mom might be hanging around here somewhere. Mm-hmm. He said his mom had always been kind of saying, Tim, when are you going to get that degree? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you think it's something you'll pursue at some point? You know, I don't even know if I'd go back into that field because it's something that I've lived for so long now. I mean, I don't, I don't feel that I need a piece of paper to no it's, to let people know that yeah. you know I know what I'm talking about when it comes to you know sports and in yeah. you know, especially endurance sports. Um, yeah, I think I would be more interested in maybe a marketing or a business degree or something like that because um, that's kind of un- more unknown to me and something I think would be a good skill. Um, mm-hmm. So that's probably something I'd, I would be I would gravitate towards um, yeah. rather than going back to basically what I've lived for 15 years, which is yeah, you, you know can, sports science. It's almost like uh, getting stale. You yeah, know, you I, I'm getting from you that like learning and expanding your horizons is an important thing for you in new chapters. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it. Um. Yeah. I think it definitely is. But. Uh, so okay, sorry. Let's go back. So you yep. you did the swim. The coach was like, "Oh, good lord." I yep. don't. Yeah. And uh, so how did that shake out? So then. Um, I started training. I didn't. I didn't have the money to buy a bike. So actually, my basketball coach, when I told him I wanted to be a triathlete, who had put like so many hours. He was my under fourteen coach, my under sixteen coach, my under eighteen coach, and um, I told him I wanted to do triathlon. He was heartbroken because he put a lot of time into me, and honestly, he probably is one of you know you have people in your life that really just that see something in you and tell you you can be good at something. He was that person for me. And so I told him um, I wanted to do triathlon and he's like, well, you don't have a bike. And um, so he he bought my first bike for me, but I had to pay him back, which is totally fine by me. So, yeah, even though he was heartbroken, he said, well, if you're going to be a triathlete, you're going to need a bike. So he bought me like a $1,200 triathlon bike. Wow. Yeah. And that was like over 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like around 2000. 2000 around 2000 wow. yeah wow. um and so my first race was um probably a year probably six months after i got my bike a year after i decided i wanted to be a triathlete um and it was a 300 meter swim like 10k bike maybe and then like a 3k run and it was the hardest thing i've ever done in my life just so painful <laughs> and during it i'm like why would anybody ever want to do this this is just painful like this is not fun. This is, this sucks. But you were pushing. But I was pushing the whole way. And then I finished, I crossed the line. I think I was third overall. Obviously, granted, it was a, it was a local triathlon in, in Brisbane. But I was third overall and I was just like, whoa, like, okay, maybe, like, I know I can do a lot better than that. And so then the competitive, you know, the competitor that's in me comes out and you're like, okay, well, 
you know, that's that race. I want to see if I can do better. And, Mm -hmm. um, I believe that was, uh, actually that race was in 99 and by 2001, I made the Australian junior team, um, racing Olympic distance. So 1500 meters swim, 40 K bike, 10 K run. Um, and that for me was like just incredible. Wow. 10 years playing basketball the best I did was make a state team and sit on the bench Mm -hmm. and then basically a year and a half of triathlon and I was off to Canada to to race for my country so wow that was yeah and you know I have to frame it too because here in the states like triathlon is still emerging Mm -hmm. I mean it's been around for decades now but it's not a priority it's not super well known Mm -hmm. you know it's not a big sport yeah but in Australia swimming you know, I don't know. Tell me more about the, how, how your country embraced that sport. Yeah. Well, um, I think the great thing for me early on was, um, back then we had the formula one racing for triathlon. So we had like the greatest triathletes in the world coming to Australia for summer and racing the summer series, which was super sprint, um, really short, Mm -hmm. like five different races in, in three months or whatever. Or well, two months, like basically from January to March, um, there would be four or five races in different st- uh, different cities uh, around the country. And there was prize money available. It was televised. And the best thing was that it, it drew all the best, you know, Olympic distance athletes from around the world. We had Barb Linquist. We had, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah Lindley. Yeah. We had, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the great Americans, some great Europeans, and that all come down and race. So me as a junior would get thrown in against the best in the world and – when you actually get to feel what it's like to race against the best in the world when you're just starting out, that's such a great gift because you know right away where the level is and what, what it looks like and what it feels like it, at the top level of the sport. Mm-hmm. And so I think that really was an eye-opener but also a great development opportunity for me. Just yep. more, more eye-opening than anything just to kind of see – Okay, if I want to be good, this is what it takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I want to be great, yeah. this is what it takes. Seriously, yeah. And, you know, um, well, okay, so so you are immediately, you show promise. After that first bikini swim, yeah. right? <laughs> when you actually got a bike and you started to go, like your yeah. body just took to this sport. In your heart, were you just at the beginning, were you thinking someday I'm going to win the biggest race in the world? <laughs> um, I don't know what I thought, but... I had like, when the day that the coach asked me if I wanted to do triathlon, I remember I went to work and I worked at Bunnings Warehouse, which is like Home Depot here. So I worked at a Bunnings um, part-time. So I remember being at at Bunnings with my little, um, my boots and my um, apron on wandering around. And I just had, I just had the most excited feeling I've ever had about anything. And I'm like, I just, it just feels right. And I didn't have any evidence that I was going to be anything. I didn't have a bike yet. I couldn't swim. I mean, he said I was an okay runner, but really I had no indication other than this gut feeling um, that this was something that I should be doing. Looking back now, you're like, wow, like this all turned out. (laughs) But that Uh feeling that day was like, I had it the whole day, like even into the next day, just so excited, like on top of the world. Like I don't even, I can't even explain the excitement of the, the opportunity that was ahead of me. And honestly, I didn't really know even about Ironman then. I didn't know Mm -hmm. about Hawaii. I knew about Olympic distance. And um, I think because the Sydney Olympics were coming up and at that point, the Australian women Mm -hmm. were like top six in the world in 99 um, in Montreal. Yeah, yeah. big time. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the Sydney Olympics were coming up and so, and they were going to be in Australia the first time triathlon be showcased. So yeah, like it was an exciting time in Australia for triathlon, but still, I mean, it's, it's, it's still not a big sport in tri- in Australia. Okay. I mean, triathlon, um, Australians are very outdoorsy and swimming's a big sport. Yep. Um, so a lot of triathletes are either surf life saving swimming. I mean, I grew up in a basketball court, so I probably should have, you know, lived in America. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was, I mean, there was definitely a lot of great athletes around and once you mm-hmm. tapped into the sport, then, you know, it was big enough in Australia. Yep. Yeah. So as you uh, make your way through this sport, early 2000s, and then suddenly you your eyes are opened and you're like, I, 
I guess I'm going to try this Ironman thing, mm-hmm. right? So you're having success. You you won a couple world titles as an age grouper, correct? No, I actually never raced age group. Oh, um, oh you went straight into the pros. Yeah. So go. I got thrown straight in the deep end. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So yeah. Um, because I was young enough to be junior, um, I had my pro card right away. Um, I can't exactly remember how that worked, but um, I couldn't race age group. And so initially I raced some junior elite races and then made the Australian junior team uh, 2000. 2001, I got second at the world champs in Cancun in under 23s. And then the next year I got second again in um, Queenstown, New Zealand. So I got some podiums, but they were like in the junior elite category. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I never Mm -hmm. actually raced age group. It would have been an easier transition, but yeah, I mean, I was super fresh in the sport and thrown in and racing those formula run one races with you know laura reback and um well at the time laura reback laura bennett now but yeah. um bob and siri and emma yeah. carney and um jackie actually jackie had just retired but loretta harrop um these are just the, at the time the best of the best in the sport and short course sheila yeah Tormina, yep Oh, how cool. Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're, you're starting to ride the wave here. Yeah. And, um, how quickly did you get on the podium in Kona? How did that happen? Uh, yeah. My first year in Kona, um, I was second, uh, but I very quickly when I started actually racing and racing competitively, I was quickly noticing that I, I didn't break it down. I didn't get injured compared to the other girls and I could kind of run for longer and be comfortable. Um, I was just noticing that my endurance was maybe a little bit better than some of the other triathletes that I was training with at the time. And so then I learned about Hawaii and I'm like, okay, that's what I want to do someday. But I'm looking at, you know, the best in the world right then was Natasha Badman. And Natasha Mm -hmm. Badman was late um, Mm thirties and I'm 23, 22. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at Natasha and I'm looking at you know the best men in the world they were well into their 30s mm-hmm. and I'm thinking well like I, I want to do this properly and I want to make sure I have all the skills to actually race when I step up to Ironman and so yeah we um you know made the decision to slowly go through you know the 70 point we did the Olympic distance for like four or five years and then we did halves for like four or five years and then wow. I stepped up to Ironman and I actually got my start in Kona by winning the 70.3 World Champs in 07. And I did Kona in 09 and it was my first Ironman ever. But it was, I mean, I knew I wanted to do the race like eight years before I actually stepped on the start line. So while, you know, you look at that and you're like, wow, you got second in the world. It was very calculated. I mean, that's not to say you no, don't really, yeah. it's you don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't really know. Like I was really nervous on that start line. Um, cause you, you don't know, and you see all the footage and you try to read as much and you talk to the greats. Um, you know, Craig Alexander for me was, you know, he yeah. kind of took me under his wing mm-hmm. and he was at the time the best in the world and, um, just such a great champion would help anyone. And he kind of took me under his wing. So people like him helped me out a lot. And obviously Syria had her guidance as well throughout my long course career and, I had I surrounded myself with good people and I had good people that were willing to put time and energy into me and help me get yeah. to that place and um, I owe all of those people a lot but um, still you get to the start line and you've done all the work and you've thought about it and you've you know wished and hoped and done all the work again but um, you still don't know if you're gonna how it's gonna be. Like, Do you still get nervous on the starting line? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. especially in Kona. I mm-hmm. mean. Most races I have nerves. Actually, every race I have nerves, but the or the intensity just varies. Yeah, certainly Kona, it's still it's still way up there. So you won in twenty ten. Yep. Twenty thirteen. Twenty fourteen. Yes. Yes. And the the year that just shocked everyone was when you ran the third fastest marathon, mm-hmm. including the men, in two fifty. Mm-hmm. 250. Have yeah. you gone faster than that? No, I went up 249 in Austria, but Austria is a different course. Different, yeah. yeah, a lot different to racing. Even, so, I mean, 250, 249, who cares? It yeah. is blazing. <laughs> like, how do you keep getting faster? How can you run that fast after doing 2.4 miles swimming? So, those of you listening <laughs> who don't know what an Ironman is, 2.4 miles in the water 
It takes most average people over an hour to do that. Yeah. And then 112 on the bike and the average on that just ranges all over. And for the fastest women, it's somewhere under five hours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you got to run a marathon and you, ta- you tacked a 250 on top of all that in the heat and humidity of Kona. And a lot of times the wind and all kinds yeah. of other stuff and the yeah. stomach problems. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like watching you run. So if you need, for those of you listening, if you need a perfect visualization for running, because a lot of us are visual and we need to imagine perfect mm-hmm. form in order to pretend we're actually, we look like that, right? Yeah. So in our own minds, we look like you. I want them to search you on YouTube, right? Yeah. What do they search? Uh, Rennie's running form. Um, yeah, Marina Caffrey <laughs> running maybe. I don't know. There's some YouTube yeah. videos out there. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not in a creepy way. We don't need you thinking about Rennie and all kinds of others. Um, <laughs> but you Google her running form and it is yeah. beautiful. So do you Google other people's running form and look at them? Um, not really. Um, I mean, I've... You're too perfect. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I go by feel. I certainly you know, have an idea of a great running form and I get the visual because I visualize races. I spend a lot of time visualizing uh, what I want it to look like, what I want my form to look like. But I'm more a feel um, runner and honestly, like, it that's a, one gift I have is running. And so I don't want to, like, go around and try and change anything because it, what I have works. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I have Siri watching me, you know, a few days a week uh, in the season yeah. anyway. And if there's something she saw and thought I needed to change, then she would tell me. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to, I think sometimes people can overanalyze. And for me, it's about feel and like having, it's all rhythm and feel with running, um, particularly rhythm. And yeah, I've, people tell me I have a great running style. I'm like, great. So I'm not going to go research that. The swim part is a whole nother story. You need some visualization for that. I definitely (laughs) like to watch, you know, great swimmers underwater and get that, um, that picture in my mind. And, and I love to watch cycling too and see like, like Mm -hmm. Julie Dibbins, a beautiful cyclist. You watch the girl on the time trial bike and she's just so smooth. Um, I like to watch greats in any arena, um, do their thing. Um, but for visualization, I don't really, I mean, I love watching beautiful runners, but I don't really like search them out. Um, it's it's interesting because I think in any sport, when you're watching someone who's perfect, they make it look so easy. Yeah. And you just think, gosh, they're not even trying. Yeah. It always looks like they're not even trying. She's just jogging down yeah. the last two miles. And meanwhile, you're running a six minute mile at yeah. the end of your marathon. So I, that's how I feel about you running. But I also appreciate that you respect that, hey, these other sports, like we need to actually accept the great things we do more. And especially as women, we yeah. tend to be like, no, I'm not so good at that. You know, <laughs> accept it, take it. Like, yeah. You're a badass runner and you should be the symbol for other people to be following. But then I also appreciate sort of the humility or, you know, desire to improve yourself. Totally. In, Absolutely. In other areas. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I obviously am grateful for the ability I have on the run, but again, you know, my cycling needs work, my, my swimming needs work. And there's plenty of other things I'm not good at in life too, that I can learn from others. So yeah, that's, if that's my one little gift, it's a great gift and it's giving me a lot. Amazing gift. We're going to have to do something with this. I'm going to have to post some cool videos for you. <laughs> so you know what we'll do? We'll check out the show notes at nicoldeboom.com and we're going to have some YouTube videos on yeah. there so you can see what we're talking about. So we've talked a lot about coaching mm-hmm. and you are coached right now by Siri Lindley. Yeah. She's phenomenal. Good friend of mine. I've known her for years and I just, I love her. You also mentioned your um, basketball coaches as being powerful mm-hmm. um, entities in your life. So what, what kind of coaching style works for you? What do you think is important for people who are out there looking for a coach? I think the most important is trust and mutual respect. Um, and I, with Siri, the thing that drew me to Siri, I actually I only started working with Siri at the end of 05. And so I'd had an okay um, um, short course career already. I'd been on a podium in a World Cup, um, had a couple of podiums at World Championship events at, for as a junior. And I was actually looking at other coaches. I didn't even consider Siri, even though I was coming to Boulder in the summer and she was coaching here. And she reached out to me. And um, honestly, the passion that that woman has for the sport and for coaching and 
the passion that she puts into other people is something that I'd never experienced before. And I don't know that I've seen it anywhere else. It's second to none. And once, you know, I, I read her email and then I sat down and talked to her, I was like, well, if she can have that much passion and um, excitement for me, for the sport, like give that to me, then I don't care how good or bad she is. She's going to work it out because she wants to win. Like she wants to put in that passion. She wants to put in that work. She wants to, she wants to win for you. She wants to win for herself. Um, and it, and it becomes more of a team. It's not me going out there and racing. Yes. I'm out there physically doing it, but she's there every step of the way. Um, and it comes across in her everyday life, but it comes across, Mm -hmm. I mean, if anyone meets Siri Lindley, she's larger than life. Um, and so, yeah, I met with her and, um, straight away signed up and started working with her, but yeah, there, there was definitely mutual respect when we first started working together. And also, you know, I, I trusted her that she would do whatever she could to make sure I, I would achieve my every goal. And if you believe that, that if you believe in the program, you believe in your coach, then that goes a long, long way. I think the trust element is super important because it's a relationship. Totally. So let's talk about relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so by the way, everyone, we're going to run a little longer than a 5K today because I'm having too much fun. Are you okay to hang yeah, out a little totally. longer? All right. Totally. Awesome. So I married a pro triathlete, but he wasn't a, well, he was a pro. I wasn't yet. Yeah. You married a pro triathlete. He happens to be named Tim too. What is, is going on I here? Know. These Tim guys are pretty good. <laughs> we like Tims. <laughs> so... I've watched pro triathletes in marriages have marriages that combusted mm-hmm. and marriages that got stronger throughout their careers. I mean, you remember Peter Reed and Lori Bowden, and both of them, if they ever listened to this, would agree. They won Hawaii at different years every time, and eventually it completely combusted and mm-hmm. they broke up and have since moved on. It just didn't work out. Tim and I are somehow still together. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, marriages go up and down, but what? Tell me about how you met Tim, how he makes your life better, and how you two can do this career together at such a high level. Yeah, well, surprise, surprise, I met Tim at a triathlon. <laughs> <laughs> like in your swimsuits? Like it's, you know, it's and, uh, cool. yeah. at a Well, it was in St. Croix, so probably close to swimsuits. We're not wearing much <laughs> totally. out there. It's so hot. Um, I saw. I met him at the pre-race pasta party um, and just – briefly chatted to him and then uh, we chatted again after the race and he won that year in St. Croix. It was his first big pro win, pro win and I finished second in the women's race. Um, and so, you know, we struck up conversation after the race and I came to learn that he was mo- had moved to Boulder from, the co- from Colorado Springs. So he'd been in the Springs at the training center for a few years. He'd just moved up to Boulder and was planning to stay here and I was coming back for the summer. I'm a snowbird. I go to Australia. <laughs> I spent a few months in Australia, then I was in California and then I raced St. Croix and I would always come back around May when the weather's a little warmer here. So I was heading back to Colorado and um, I called my friend Mary Miller you know, on one of the, um, at one of the airports on the way back here and was like, do you know Tim O'Donnell? And she's like, (laughs) yes. And I'm like, he's pretty, he's pretty cute. He's a nice guy. And she's like, Vincent, which is long story. That's one of my nicknames. This is going to be a great year. He's, he just moved to Colorado. Um, he's she's like, he's a great guy. I'm going to totally like hook you guys up. (laughs) I'm like, okay, Mayor, let's, um, let's just wait and see. So anyway, um, yeah. By July, we had our first date and yeah, it was fantastic. And we, you know, we shut down the restaurant. We chatted all night and had a lot in common, but yeah, I mean, obviously we had a lot in common with sporting in our sporting arenas, but also personally, we agreed on a lot of the same things and we're on the same page, I guess. Um, so yeah, that was 09. And then we, um, I moved in actually in 2010, um, I, went back to Australia. He was going to come and didn't end up coming. And then I think the total amount of time that we were together before I moved in was probably about six weeks um, because I was going from Colorado back to California, then on to Australia, Kona and then Australia. So we really didn't have a lot of time together. I mean, we, we talked on the phone a lot, but yeah, the next year I came back to California, then drove to Colorado and moved straight into his house and, um, and it was super easy and, um, it's been actually really amazing. Like we get along so well, we, 
we rarely ever have fight. I mean, you know, we we argue because we both are strong people and have opinions, but I think that that's healthy. Um, and we respect each other and um, we want the best for each other. We're certainly on the same team and we are competitive, but really we we just want the best for one another. And so it's, it's yeah, it's a really great relationship. I'm pretty lucky to have, to have found it. You know, you hope that when you're married, you want the best for each other. Totally. And you know, but at some point, like it gets to just be real life. Yeah. And yeah, you want the best for each other, but you also got to manage all kinds of other totally. things. Totally. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting too, is there's, I feel this power of listening to your gut, just yeah. like you did with triathlon. Like I can almost imagine you having one of those days like you did yeah. at what was that uh, Home Depot? Yeah, <laughs> Bunnings. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, this is the guy. Yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, like you just knew that this future would be there. Yeah, just Gosh. feels right. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, I, I definitely listen to my gut <laughs> when oh, it yeah. says something. It shouts loud enough, then I definitely listen. And and yeah, Tim was one of those you know gut feelings. It felt right, and um, it was just so easy. Um, I've been in relationships before that was, you know, stressful and difficult. And, um, yeah, when things are easy, when doors are opening for you, you, you just keep walking through them. I love that. And, that's um, a good point. That certainly happened with triathlon and that certainly happened with, um, with Tim when we met, like, yeah, kind of like look around now where we are and where we live and, um, our lives. And it, it's kind of surreal. Um, you're coming from a little farm with no money in Australia to where we are now, it's it's pretty cool. So you're known as someone who loves to also let loose sometimes. Absolutely. Okay, this is your rep. You yeah. got a rep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So why do athletes love to party so hard? I think um, I I th- I think because we're so disciplined throughout the year, um, and we have big goals and we have um, whatever aspirations that we we stick to a pretty strict regimen. Um, and you know, Tim and I try to be as relaxed and as normal as possible throughout the year. I mean, we drink wine most nights. Um, we eat ice cream. Like when we don't have crazy diets, um, we try to be as normal as possible in this abnormal sport because you know, Mm -hmm. you're training 35 hours a week in the peak of it. Um, you're really just working out, resting, eating, and not doing much socializing or anything else. So I think it's such a, it's just a time to release all of that energy that you've, you know, you've got, um, stored. Um, yes, I agree. And speaking of, I'm opening up some chocolate. These are called sun cups. Cause we're in Boulder. Yes. And you know, we only have like all natural foods here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Only all natural. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do some eating too, but I totally agree. I mean, there's so much discipline that goes into pushing your body to that limit that you've got to give yourself a break sometimes. Yeah. So I applaud your, yeah, I think the wall of wine. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of wine, a lot of wine, but the mental break for us is so important. I mean, like we, when we, there's not many triathletes that will actually take a week or two weeks off and we take two weeks off every year we don't do any physical activity and it sucks like you you might feel a little depressed for a couple of days but we force ourselves to do that so that we miss it and we want it back and we want to be back in our routine and we want to be back out running and riding and feeling strong again um but yeah we make sure we do that every year i mean i'm just day one back after pretty much a two two weeks off and then two weeks of something a day, <laughs> maybe yeah. 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes um, or mountain bike riding or whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm back at it and it, it's not fun to climb back up the hill, but it's necessary every year to give yourself that mental and physical break so that you come back in and you're fresh and you're ready to take on the world again. It's true. And a lot of people listening, we have this fear of gaining weight and how hard it is to, you know, take it back off. And so what's your take on that? How important is it for even mere mortals, like real people, athletes, mm-hmm. and just active people to go through those cycles in a year? You obviously can't go too too crazy when you're not doing any activity. You, you, your eating habits need to somewhat mimic your activity level. So when you're training 35 hours a week, you can eat a whole lot more when you're training, when you, you, you're on your regular schedule, you're doing something a day, your diet's going to look different from when you're doing absolutely nothing. But I think it is important for at least 
maybe a few days, four or five days to eat what you want, do what you want and give yourself a complete break. The weight will come back off. It will suck um, initially getting back into training and get that, getting that fitness back. But I think giving yourself that break and we, we have three breaks throughout the year. We have our big one now. We always have one week off in May and we have one week off in July. And those um, three weeks, we plan something fun to go and do outside of the sport. And that is just, you know, something you can look forward to. So, yeah, it sucks. Training sucks right now. And I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere or, you know, whatever. You can have something planned for not not too distant future where you can go and have a good time and forget about it and relax and enjoy. And you deserve it. You deserve that break. And it makes you a more well-rounded person. Absolutely. It maybe makes every race not, they all matter, but matter just a little less because you know there's more out there in the world. Totally. Yeah. And you know, you and Tim both do Hawaii and you both focus hard and you both want to win. When Tim and I were both doing Hawaii, I mean, it was pretty clear that I wouldn't win. I still wanted to go hard and try to be in the top 10 or something, but we were more focused around him. So how do you deal with being married to someone who has the same goal and then say you've won, but Tim hasn't. So when one performance is better than the other, can you, how do you get through that whole, like Mm -hmm. being depressed for yourself, but still happy and supportive for your spouse? Totally. Yeah. That's, um, it's really tough actually. Um, cause Kona is the one race that we put everything Mm -hmm. into. Um, that's a, that's the reason our sponsors pay us really. Um, and that's just the one race that we both love and really want to excel at. And so, yeah, there's been years that I haven't done well and Tim's done well. Um, that was last year. I was hit by a car a couple of days before the race and wasn't able to compete. And Tim finished third, the best race he's ever had in Kona. So for me that I looked at that as like a silver lining, um, on my shitty day, um, where, you might have to, sorry, I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> That's right. Worst words have come out. We'll bleep it. Oh, yeah. no, wait, we don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to be there. Okay, good. Potty mouth. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I had something to focus on and something to put my energy into and something to appreciate, um, even though nothing went to plan for me that day. Yeah. Um, and so we're very much a team in, in that respect. And then, um, we've, I've had years where, you know, I've won and Tim's not finished. Um, had to walk in the run and had a terrible day. And he does a really good job of like being happy and partying and having a good time after the race. And yes, like I know he's depressed or he's down and upset, but he, he deals with that. You know, he'll definitely take a few days to deal with that. And obviously I'm respectful that, you know, he didn't have the day that he wanted. And, and then we sit down and figure out, okay, well, how do we, how do we make it work? Like, what do you need from me? What can I do to help you get a better result? And yeah, um, actually last year after Kona, Siri, myself, Tim and Mark Allen had dinner together. We drank like many bottles of wine, but we wanted to figure out how for how to have both of us get the best out of ourselves. What would that would look like? Do we stay in the same house in Kona? Like all of those little things, do we stay together? Do we stay apart? Um, you know, where do we stay in Kona? Because Tim likes to say, Mark likes to stay out of the Kanaloa, which is like six miles out of town. Mm-hmm. I like to stay two miles mm-hmm. or closer mm-hmm. um, so I can be closer to the action. So we're different personalities in that respect, but we kind of sit down and be honest and say, well, I really need this and or I really need this and what's the what's the medium? So how do we, you know, how do we compromise without – compromising too much right and not having your feelings hurt yeah totally she doesn't want to stay with me you know like get that out of here this is a business decision totally you're still married you love each other like yeah no and i think that there's never there's never a question on that when we sit down and talk about triathlon it, it is business and we talked about staying in separate accommodations and at the end of the day i would just come home and just want to call him and be like are you doing okay do you need anything you know like I would spend my whole time thinking about if he was okay and if he had everything he wanted rather mm-hmm. than just focusing on myself and and he would be the same. He would be worried that I needed anything. How how's my day going? Have I you know, have I got everything I need? Um Yeah, so we decided staying together would be easier because <laughs> then we wouldn't have to check on one another all the time. <laughs> and um No yeah, wasted energy. No there. wasted energy. Yeah. So um yeah, it's still we're still learning how to figure that out. But I think the great thing is that we understand that triathlon is our job and we both need to perform 
individually to our best potential and we need to always try and find ways to make that happen um and yeah kudos to you i mean it is it's amazing Mm -hmm. and i love watching you guys together and i think it's just fun to watch your careers blossom because they're still going yeah yeah it's been incredible and um yeah we're, we're not done yet so no you're not yeah so I've got a few more questions. Sure. Okay. We won't, I, we got to wrap it up at some point, but this mm-hmm. is too fun. So I'm looking at this like amazing yard behind me. Mm-hmm. So hold on one sec while I look. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. So I just have this vision for you that you're going to have to have kids someday. Absolutely. Because you two are so awesome. Yeah. And here you are. Absolutely. I love it. Now it's hard to do when you're in the prime of your career. You can't just like be pregnant mm-hmm. racing an Ironman. Yeah. So, uh, but if, if they're in your future, have you two thought about what values you want your kids to have? Like if you had to think of one most important value for your future kids, what would that value be? Um, I think respect is a big one for us. Um, respect for, you know, other people, for the environment, um, um, and respect yourself as well. I think, yeah, that's the first one that came to mind. I mean, I bet there's going to be a lot more. (laughs) Oh, it's Um, a good one. And people don't usually think too hard about that before kids. They're more thinking about like, oh my gosh, how's the birth going to go? Yeah, totally. (laughs) And honestly, I hadn't really, I mean, yeah, we, we think about our lives and we definitely want to have a family. We want, we want kids and, um, think about what that looks like, but I don't know that we'd really, we've haven't really had the conversation you know, what values are we going to instill in our kids? And, um, yeah, that's something we'll have to talk about when the time comes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So if you could use one word to describe your outlook on life, what would it be? Um, optimistic. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. So do you plan to stay in the United States? Yes. So what's your take on our election? Are you optimistic? (laughs) Um, yeah. Oh, well, I, I want to wait and see. Um, mm-hmm. people are very quick to, the election was obviously polarizing. Um, crazy. It was, yeah, there's a 50, feels like 50% of America are one way and 50% of the other way. So it was eye opening in that respect. But I, I like to give Mr. Trump, um, six months and see, I feel like some of the strong words that he had, Obviously, I don't agree with a lot of the things he had to say, but um, I feel like he's like a master manipulator. Like, I don't think he believes in a lot of things he said. He's just he's he just needs to turn his mouth off. Um, And yeah, I mean, he got the vote. Well, here's the thing you can relate to. He did what he needed to do to win. Yeah. I think that's really interesting from an athlete's perspective whether you agree with it or not. And we're not going to get too much into politics. I just thought it would be interesting to hear from someone who, are you a dual citizen? Not right. Not yet. I have a green card. Um, and I, I, I had the green card. I didn't need Tim for the green card. Wait, (laughs) are you not going to get in now because Trump's going to be president? (laughs) Hold on a second. We want you. You You're a good one. Maybe I need to expedite (laughs) that, um, citizenship, but yeah, I'm eligible to become a citizen now. I just need to do the paperwork. So that's something that we'll look at doing. But, um, for right now I'm a, I'm a resident. I'm not a citizen. So I don't get to vote anyway. So, well, yeah, I don't know what I, no, you can just kind of play along. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, so you also do some giving back. Is Mm -hmm. that, that, that's an important thing for you? Yeah. I like to, um, try and give where I can. Um, and you know, some of it is on a, you know, a more high profile, um, um, charity, uh, world bicycle relief is the charity that I work with, but uh, I like to give back at a local level too, um, as much as I can. And, um, what do you do locally? So I'm giving, um, New Balance is giving me, um, $500 worth of shoes and I'm going to give them to the Denver kids um, next month. Cool. So I'm going to That's go amazing. And, yeah. So uh, they give us shoes every year and um, we go and I'm hoping to get out there and go for a run with some of the kids and, um, and yeah, hand out some life. shoes. Yeah. yeah so yeah, where we can, uh, you know, we give, you know, what we can, but um, yeah. And World Bus Relief obviously has been the charity that I've worked with for a number of years now, I have yet to visit, um, Africa. Um, but yeah, I love, I love what they do. They're, you know, putting bikes in the hands for, for me, what drew me to World Bicycle Relief was 
a lot of women in rural Africa are the caregivers, and so their their job is to prepare food, gather food, gather water, um, and education is always put on the back burner. And so a lot of them, you know, weren't able to go to school because, you know, it's a four-hour walk one way and a four-hour walk back and they had to collect water and prepare meals and, and do all the rest of it. So giving a bike to one of those schoolgirls enables them to get to school, um, get home from school, collect the water and prepare dinner. Um, and so it's giving them opportunity. And yeah. uh, that's really what drew me to them in the first place. They also, you know, are putting bikes on the ground for um, – uh, practitioners, doctors, and so forth to get into smaller villages and um, dish out aid, medical aid, and so forth. So, which otherwise they wouldn't be able to reach those smaller villages because yeah. they're on foot. Um, yeah, it's a great program. Um, it's a, it's a good fit for you too. So, and I can understand it. So, we'll we'll put a link to that too in the show notes so people can check it out and the yeah. work that you do with them. All right. So now I've got I've never done this a rapid fire round. Okay. Okay. We've got a few questions here. We're coming down to the end, everyone. We're running. We're like on an 8K right now. <laughs> this might be the longest interview I've ever done. It's just too fun. I love it. Okay. So you and Tim are out riding. You get a flat. Who changes it? Um, I change it unless I can't get the tire off. Then he changes it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so I like, I generally, it's, it depends. If he's in a hurry, then maybe he will try and change it. But I'm pretty fast too. So no, I, I actually change it. All right. So that was that was slower than rapid yeah, fire. Yeah, okay. That's cool. But I like that. It's empowering. All right. Chocolate milk or red wine? One of which oh. is a sponsor, although red wine, whatever big company, you know, big industry for red wine could probably also be a sponsor. I think I'm going to have to go red wine. I mean, Ooh. I love red. I love yeah. red, red chocolate. I was going to say I love oh, my um, yeah. I love that? my chocolate milk, but uh, red wine. Ooh. All right. Um, training or racing? Racing. There's only one cookie left. Who eats it? I do. (laughs) (laughs) If you have a kid, no, when you have a kid, what sport are you going to put him or her in? Uh, We're going to do team sports first and then running as well, I think. All right. Uh, Last thing, this is for all the money. You're both exhausted after a day of training. The dishes are piled in the sink. Who cleans up? (laughs) Rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. One last question. And this is a great rapid fire. I like that. I'm going okay. to do that in all my, you know, in all my interviews now. Thanks for being my rookie. Here. Yeah, no worries. All right. So I ask every guest mm-hmm. this question. Um, the name of the podcast is Run This World. Okay. And at the end of the day, if you could give the listeners one piece of advice, one nugget that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? Um, I think just believe in yourself. Um, listen to your gut. I think we've kind of been talking about listening to your gut the whole podcast, but believe in yourself and listen to your gut. And um, I think that that will carry you a long way. It will. And I love that. That's a great message. All right. One very last question. Did you ever pay your coach back for the bike? I did. I did pay it back. Kudos yeah. to you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much My for pleasure. being on the show. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Nicole. Appreciate it. All right. And hey, we're all going to be cheering for you this year. All right. Thanks. <laughs> it's a wrap. Three-time Hawaii Ironman world champion, Rennie Carfrey. What a stud. Um, Today, you heard a lot about believing in yourself, listening to your gut, and truly, in the end, respect is the name of the game. I love her values, and I love how she just gets out there and gets it done. The biggest thing I regret is not taking photos of that cool wall of wine I'm going to have to come over sometime and like, you know, be a stalker and photograph through her window or something. So I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. It was a blast for me to sit down with uh, kind of a blast from the past in my world and, and really dig back into the sport of triathlon and what makes these incredible endurance athletes tick. Um, Miranda Carfrey is just, she's top notch. She's classy and uh, I respect her highly. So this year when you're watching the Hawaii Ironman, take a look. It should air pretty soon here in November, December usually. And uh, you are going to see some greatness out there. Even though she didn't win the race this year, that girl is still breaking barriers. Well, everybody... We're going to stop this one in our tracks and uh, pick it up again next week. And on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. 